On today's episode of Locked On MLB, we pay tribute to a man who took over the reins of a team that seemed snake-bitten in a region that was so devoid of baseball success, they actually made a musical about how futile their chances were. And he helped turn that team into a champion. This is Locked On MLB. You are Locked On MLB, your daily MLB podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, baseball fans. Welcome to Locked On MLB, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, where it's your team every day. This is the daily podcast. We talk about all of Major League Baseball. I am yours, Paul Francis Sullivan. If you don't believe me, there's my lower third. Feel free to call me Sully. I am an Emmy nominated television producer who has been a baseball podcaster for well over a decade now. And I'm now beginning my fifth season as a host here on the Lockdown Podcast Network. You can follow the show at Lockdown MLB Pods on Twister. Twister. Jesus. On Twitter. Easy for you to say. Or on Instagram, you can follow me. I'm still on Twitter, at least for the time being. At Sully Baseball on Twitter, Sully Baseball Podcast on Instagram. Feel free to subscribe to us on YouTube and get our subscribers up. Or check out some of the other great shows on the Lockdown Podcast Network. It really is your team every day. Driving that home because it's true. Uh, Before I get to the main part of the show, which is paying tribute to someone who you may not think of as a big figure in baseball, but helped change the culture of a team, a franchise, and a whole metropolitan area of mindset in terms of baseball. I just want to go over a little bit of business. Uh, First of all, uh, a little bit of news coming from Houston. I mentioned this the other day, but it's worth mentioning again. The defending World Series champion Houston Astros have given Christian Javier only the second person to start a no-hitter in the history of the World Series. Notice how I phrase that. He has a five-year extension with the Houston Astros. And I think this is uh, this is a big thing. They basically bought out the final three years of his arbitration years. I think it's smart when teams do this. I do. I think it's smart when a team says, hey, look, I know we can go to arbitration every year. I know we're under no obligation to do this, but let's buy out all those years and give us a couple of years after that. It creates a sense of goodwill with a team and a player. I'm sure, look, at once we start getting into the millions and millions of dollars, and, you know, he's going to be making, you know, $7 million here and $10 million there, then up to 20 at some point. You know, it's escalating at a point where you would expect a pitcher of his caliber. People say, great, I've, I've cashed in. I've opened up that briefcase in deal or no deal. And, you know, he could have gone to free agency or he could have said, hey, look, I can cash in right now. He's a World Series champion in the World Series record book because he started the combined no-hitter in game four of this year's last the last World Series here. So his name's always going to come up. He's a fine pitcher. And he's on a team that is probably, you know, they're as good a pick as any to go to the World Series in 2023. And he has been kind of, you know, some of the older guard of the the Astros pitching staff 
have moved on. There's no more Verlander. There's no more Keiko. There's no more Charlie Morton. There's no more Garrett Cole. They've all moved on. And this is now, you know, Framber Valdez's rotation. And you take a look at, at what this means is you have um, Javier is signed for the next five years. Lance McCullers is signed through 2026. Um, and, I th- and he has uh, Javier signed through 2027. Framber Valdez is arbitration eligible through 2025. Um, Jose Urquidy and Luis Garcia and Hunter Brown, they're still all three or four years away from arbitration. So, or from, you know, being even free agent eligible. So think about it for, for at least, at least through 2026. Um, you have Lance McCullers, Christian Javier, Framber Valdez, Jose Arquiti, Luis Garcia, Hunter Brown. And I'm sure there'll be a smattering of other players. You know, teams are always jettisoning players at the trade deadline. So, you know, now that, you know, it's harder to get the draft pick attached to a player. So, you know, you'll see veterans who are like, you know, who are going to be available at the trade deadline because the teams want to get at least something back for them. And, a veteran here or a veteran there, but that is a core of their pitching staff right there. McCullers, Javier, Valdez, Urquidy, Garcia, Brown. That's six pitchers right there. Maybe one can settle in in the bullpen. Maybe not. Not sure. I'm not running the show. But for 2023, 2024, 2025, and 2026, you have that core of pitchers. And maybe that's one reason why they didn't outbid for Verlander. Because remember, Verlander had, you know, two Cy Young Award seasons, 2019 and 2022 with the Astros. That book ended two lost years. He pitched only one game in 2020. He didn't pitch at all when they went to the World Series in 2021. So the Astros have a very good core of their pitching staff ready to go for the next four, you know, three or four years. And I think it's safe to say when you're looking at American League pitching staffs, there are other good pitching staffs. The Yankees have a good pitching staff. I have questions about their bullpen right now, but I, I think they've got a good starting pitching staff. Seattle's got a good starting pitching staff. Cleveland's got a very good pitching staff. Cleveland probably is the best pitching staff to compare with the Astros. But the look, at, I'm going to put aside all the controversies about the Astros and just focus on the Dusty Baker years. Back-to-back American League championships, a World Series title last year, and one where they were played under a tremendous amount of scrutiny. So I don't think anyone could take away the validity of the 2021 pennant and the 2022 World Series title. Winning three straight pennants is possible. I think probable. And when we take a look at the way the baseball playoffs are set up now, the baseball season set up now, how hard it is to repeat, how hard it is to uh, to get the you know, to get back in there in the gauntlet that you have to run. The Astros are showing a blueprint of develop good players, keep the veterans you know will be there. And when those veterans are there and can take some of the young players under their wing, and it's time to say goodbye to some of the veterans, goodbye, Correa, here comes Pena. Goodbye, Verlander, here comes, uh, you know, Framber Valdez and Christian Javier. This is really looking like the team of the decade. Even if you just, even if you take a look at what they did before, 
you know, the, the, the scandal years, if you just sort of wipe those away, the way that some people like to focus on like Bonds and Clemens's career before they ballooned up like the Michelin man and say they were a Hall of Famer before that happened, before they obviously started injecting things into themselves. You could start looking at this Astros team saying, you know, let's forget what they did before. You know, let's psychologically eliminate 2017, 2018, 2019. Put that aside and focus on this run, the Dusty Baker run, of which there are several players who, you know, were left over from that run. This is turning into a spectacular run. And who's going to unseat them? I mean, the one thing that we can, I think we can almost agree, all agree on, whether you hate the Astros, I know a lot of you do. I don't personally hate them, despite all the Astros Twitter thinking I have. <laughs> what was it? Someone said uh, unhinged hatred. Someone wrote to me, said you have unhinged hatred towards the Astros. Keep in mind, in the 2021 and 2022 World Series, I rooted for the Astros to win. I wanted them to win the World Series. That's my unhinged hatred. Um, Astros are doing the right thing, left and right, front and center. They've got the, the, you know, they have the bats. Now they have the pitching staff. And I just think that they're lined up. They're all lined up. And look at, I'm not telling you to go bet your money, but what I am telling you that the Astros are, uh, well, you know what? Despite all the wonderful things, that the uh, Seattle Mariners are doing, I think it's the, the easiest bet in the world to make that the Astros are going to win the American League West again. And if you're making any bets, you know where to go. You go to FanDuel. FanDuel is the number one sports book in all America. And guess what? Forget about the Super Bowl. That's past. We're at the midway point of the NBA season, go Celtics, and it's a perfect time to download FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Customers get the no sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's bonus bets backed if your first bet doesn't win. Just lo- download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and easy to use. Then you can bet on anything from the money line to point scores to threes drained. Plus, FanDuel lets you combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with a same-game parlay. So don't miss out on the chance to get your no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 in bonus bets when you go to FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. That's FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to learn more. Make every moment more with FanDuel, the official sports betting partner of the National Basketball Association. When the Astros were in the World Series in 2019, they lost to the uh, Washington Nationals. It was a we- it was a very weird World Series. The 2019 World Series was a very strange World Series. None of the home teams won any of the games. First time it's ever happened. We've had World Series where the home ga- team won every game. There's never been with the the opposite. The of course the Nationals stunned the Los Angeles Dodgers in a really, really dramatic five-game series. The fifth game was um, just a mind-bogglingly dramatic game between the Dodgers and the Nationals, where a line drive by uh, catcher Will Smith went into the gap 
and it was caught. If if Soto didn't track it down, the uh, I think it was, was it Soto. I forget, but it was it was a line drive in the gap. If it if it hit the ground, the Dodgers would have won the series. So it was caught for the final out of the ninth. Howie Kendrick, former Dodger, hit a grand slam. Uh, friend of the podcast, Sean Doolittle, closed it out, and then the the Nationals swept what looked like an overmatched and oddly overmatched Cardinals team. We're a very talented team, but they just got clobbered by Washington. And then in that World Series, the Astros were heavily favored. Remember, they had Verlander and Garrett Cole in that rotation. It was a coin toss of who would win the MVP. And as it turned out, the Nats won the first two games. They went back to Washington. The Astros won all the games in Washington, went back to Houston. It looked like it was going to be a coronation. Steven Strasburg nearly throws a complete game. And then you have game seven, which had one of the – it was a bizarre game because the final score gave no indication of how close it was and the fact that the Astros had a 2 nothing lead in the seventh inning with Zach Grinke absolutely on a roll. You know, the decision to lift Zach Grinke and not use Garrett Cole really has to be really just one of the strangest games ever by a manager. Uh, A.J. Hinch. Excuse me. The Nationals won that World Series. And with that, the Nationals changed the culture and justified a decade of postseason appearances and a lot of frustration. And it was appropriate that when they won the World Series, it was Steven Strasburg who was the MVP. There was a lot of talk in 2012 when the Nationals are basically a year ahead of schedule in contending, and they won the National League East. And down the stretch, Steven Strasburg, who had undergone Tommy John surgery the year before, was basically told they were going to shut him down in September at the beginning of the year. And they stuck by their plan, much to the consternation of everyone, including your pal Sully, because I thought, you don't know when you're going to get in the playoffs again. You don't know when you're going to get that chance again. and. Washington had a chance. They had the best record in the National League, and they lost the division series in a series where they were one strike away from eliminating the St. Louis Cardinals. Again, the Cardinals. And the Cardinals rallied. And yes, it was the bullpen that fell apart, but they also got some pretty lousy pitching from the starting rotation that year for the Washington Nationals. And one more starting pitcher probably could have meant that their bullpen wasn't going to be taxed. Either way, that decision hung over the Washington Nationals head throughout the rest of the decade when they lost heartbreaking series in 2014 where they lost an 18-inning game to the Giants and had another complete brain fart from manager then-manager Matt Williams. They lost back-to-back years in Game 5 of the division series and several times that looked like they were rallying to put the winning run on, but they lost to the Cubs one year and Los Angeles to another. Finally, they won the World Series with Strasburg as the MVP. And in a weird way, it was fun that it ended with the climax of the championship that justified that whole year and in the end justified the decision to not pitch him. You know, Rizzo was able to crow a little bit to say, or general manager Rizzo was able to, his decision to stand by that was basically justified. There were a lot of managerial changes, a lot of personnel changes, 
but Washington has its World Series title and therefore making them, if not the team of that decade, I think the team that won three World Series titles, the Giants has the claim to that, but certainly one that gave their fans a tremendous amount of thrills from the 2012 to the World Series title. Now, one of the people who was instrumental to that run was Ted Lerner. Ted Lerner died on the 12th yesterday. He was a real estate developer and the head of Lerner Enterprises, owned tons of land in Washington, D.C., and so Lord knows what that meant in terms of, you know, he had a lot of money, had a lot of land. And apparently, look at I'm not one to dig into anyone's skeletons or anything like that. One thing I do know is that he there was a, did a lot of philanthropy. He gave it to a lot of organization. Um, he gave to you know, the, the Hebrew University of Jerusalem. He was one of the founding members of the United States Holocaust Memorial Museum. Uh, many charities throughout throughout Washington and supporting many of charities that support his his Jewish faith and helped a lot of people and gave a lot of money to that. So I, I, I never met the man, but I can say that he bought a snake bit franchise in a absolutely barren city in terms of a positive baseball history. And under his watch, gave his fans a decade they'll never forget and doubled the number of World Series titles won by Major League Baseball teams in the city of Washington. He took over the team in 2006, and it's really, really difficult for you to understand if you weren't following baseball in the mid-2000s. What an absolute fiasco that franchise was a disgrace in every way, shape, or form. The team used to be the Montreal Expos. I'll always have a soft spot in my heart for the Expos. The Expos were the team most harshly, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, affected by the 1994 player strike and subsequently the 1995 owner's lockout. The Expos were the best team at least in the National League and maybe in all of baseball in 1994 with Hall of Famers like Pedro Martinez, Larry Walker, and Vladdy Guerrero were all part of that team. And I think Vladdy was. I, have to may, I may have to double-check that one. All I know is they had uh, – they had okay, that may have been a little before Vladdy. Either way, they had Moises Alou. They had Marquise Grissom. They had Larry Walker. They had Pedro Martinez. They had an unbelievable amount of talent on that squad. And with Felipe Alou at the helm, it looked like they were going to knock off the Braves as division champions and be in charge. And there was a really, really good chance that Canada would have had its third straight World Series. The Blue Jays won the World Series in 1992 and 1993. In 1994, the Expos were running away with it. Would they have won the pennant? I don't know. The Braves would have been a wild card team. It would have been the first year of the wild card. 
The Dodgers were not a very good team that year. Neither were St. Louis, but they were the division champs. Of the playoff teams, the Expos were heads and shoulders better than everybody else. Would they have beaten? There were some very good teams in the American League that year, especially the Yankees, the White Sox, and the upstart Cleveland Indians. They were called the Indians back then. Would the Expos have won the World Series? I don't know. They had as good a shot as anybody. And then the strike hit. If the Expos had won the World Series, probably you would have seen an uptick of interest and attendance, you know, skyrocketing and probably get that long-awaited for new stadium in Montreal and we'd still have the Expos right now. Instead, people stayed away in droves. I went to a game in Montreal in 1995. It was tumbleweeds. And the, the franchise never survived, even though they put some good teams on the field. And eventually, Loria sold the team so we could buy the Marlins. Henry sold the Marlins so we could buy the Red Sox. Nobody bought the Expos. But they couldn't vote to contract baseball. They couldn't vote to contract the league. Otherwise, there would have been another devastating strike. So what happened? Baseball bought the team. Major League Baseball owned the Expos. There was no owner. They left the team out to die. And it was obvious where to put them. I mean, they could, if they couldn't survive in Montreal, you had to move into Washington. They were the only city that had a stadium that could fit a Major League Baseball team. RFK, it was no good, but they could at least be a temporary place. But because it was the territorial rights of Baltimore, there was a all big old kerfuffle. And for about three or four years, the Expos, were they sat there to die. They contended. In 2002 and 2003, with a shoestring budget. But they weren't allowed to add players. They weren't allowed to sign big free agents because there was no owner. It was a a disgrace and a huge conflict of interest. Finally, they moved into Washington, but they still didn't have an owner. They were a mess. They were a disaster. In came Ted Lerner. Ted Lerner bought the team. 2006. They stunk for a long time. But between 2006 and 2011, something was percolating. And in six years, the Nationals went from being the great disgrace franchise in baseball to becoming a playoff team. And beyond just the existence and history of that franchise, you need to understand what it means to put a winner, a winning baseball team, in the city of Washington, D.C. But first, I got to ask you, you're looking for a delicious treat that doesn't have all the fat and calories, and you got to try a Built Bar. All right. You've made it through the holidays. You've made it through Super Bowl Sunday. Tomorrow is going to be Valentine's Day. Lots of chocolate out there. But you want a sweet treat, but you don't want to have something bad to eat? Hey, that's an inadvertent rhyme. I should do that every time. You got to try Built Bar. With Built Healthy, it's tasty. And they're so delicious, you won't think they're good for you, but they're perfect for your Valentine's Day sweet tooth. What makes the bar so good? Well, for stars, they're covered in 100% real chocolate. That's right, real chocolate. And they come in unbelievably great flavors like churro, peanut butter brownie, or coconut almond. I don't know how Built Bar does it, but these bars, they taste like candy bars while maintaining amazing macros. And what's even better, they're healthy. 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, and whopping 17 grams of protein. 
Now, you don't have to wait around to get the box. For years, we've been talking about ordering Built Bars at Built.com. Now you can get them at your local Walmart or Sam's Club. That's right. Head to your nearest Walmart today. Walk to the pharmacy section. Grab yourself a box of Built Bars. You can pick up a four-bar box of cookies and cream, double chocolate, or coconut puffs. If you're closer to Sam's Club, run in and grab a 13-bar box of our hit flavors. Brownie batter, churro, you can thank me later. Gotta get them all. They all taste so good. There'll be a Valentine for you at Built Bar. Built.com. Built Bars, they're still good. Washington has had a legacy of being awful in baseball. There was a saying in the, in the 1900s, a hundred years before Ted Lerner took over the Washington Nationals, when the Senators, they were sometimes called the Senators, sometimes called the Nationals, the nicknames were a little more fluid back then. And there was the saying about Washington, first in war, first in peace, and last in the American League. They were a terrible team. They had one of the great stars in the history of the early 20th century in Walter Johnson, and people felt badly for him. They was playing on such a crummy team, the Washington Nationals. As it turned out, the Nationals won the World Series in 1924 against a great New York Giants team filled with Hall of Famers, managed by John McGraw, arguably the greatest manager of all time. Game seven of the World Series was an extra inning affair that the the Senators were aided by a ground ball that ricocheted off of a pebble. They won in extra innings in game seven. They lost game seven of the World Series the next year in 1925 in a game that is endlessly fascinating to me because the commissioner of baseball almost called the game off in the seventh inning because the rain was so hard. They played through it, and the Pirates wound up coming from behind and winning the game. If the commissioner had called the game off, the Senators would have won back-to-back World Series titles. They won the pennant again in 1933, lost to the Giants this time. And then, in 19, that was 1933. In 1945, a year where most of the best players were fighting war, they finished a game and a half out of first. Why did I skip to there? Because between 1933... And the 1960 season, that was the only year the Senators came within 10 games of the pennant. Decades would go by where if they gave their fans a one game over 500 year, it was like celebrating the World Series. Most of the time they're playing sub 300 ball or sub 400 ball, I meant to say. They were a disastrously terrible team who in one of the weirdest moments in baseball history, After the 1960 season, the Senators moved to Minnesota, but baseball expanded and put a team in Washington called them the Senators. So there was a Senators team, 1959, 1960, 1961, 1962, but that team between 1960 and 1961 were different teams. All the players of that Senators team went to Minnesota, then a brand new expansion team came in. It was weird. But that expansion Senator team was as bad as the other one. They only once had a winning season. That was in 1969 when they went to divisional play, and they were in the same division as the Baltimore Orioles, who were a 100-some-odd win team. So they didn't really contend. Between winning the World Series in 19, and winning the, the American League pennant in 1933 and the 1971 season, nearly 40 years they contended once. That's how bad they were. There was a musical 
a very successful musical that had the song, You've Gotta Have Heart. Can't sing more than that for ASCAP and licensing reasons. Called Damn Yankees. The premise of this play was that the Yankees won the pennant in the World Series every year. Now, this was way before free agency, so this was not a, necessarily a new problem for people saying the Yankees win every year. The Yankees won every year, and a player for the Washington Senators made a deal with the devil to have the Washington Senators win the pennant. The idea of the Senators winning the pennant was so far-fetched that it was a source of a musical, and the musical involved an interpretation of a Faustian bargain. And mind you, that play came out in the 50s. They had been waiting like decades, 20-some-odd years, for a World Series to come back to Washington. They didn't get that World Series, the same wait for a World Series that they were talking about in the 50s. They didn't get until 2019. The Washington Senators moved again. The second Senators became the Texas Rangers. So between 1970, from my birth in 1972 until the 2005 season, I became a father in 2005 in my 30s. So between my birth and children being born of like the uh, just put it this way, the last time they had played I didn't I didn't exist yet. The next time Washington had a team I had offspring. That's a long time a, a generation was created where there was no baseball. There was movement to move the Padres. There was movement for expansion and everything like that. It took the Expos becoming a national disgrace to finally lure a team to Washington. And that team looked snake-bit in the postseason until they won. That was the mindset of baseball fans, the culture of baseball that needed that Ted Lerner was facing when he took over the team. That's what he turned around. A culture of baseball where the notion of them winning was so ludicrous, it made it to the Broadway stage involving the devil. So insane that two franchises tried and couldn't do it. That it took a pebble ricocheting in the late innings, the extra innings of Game 7 of the 1924 World Series to give Washington at least one World Series title in their history. And that was a mentality that Lerner took over and Lerner owned the team when the culture was turned around. 2012, 2014, 2016, 2017, and 2018. Five years between 2012 and 2019, Washington fans 
saw their team in the postseason. Between 1901 and 1971, it was three times. 24 and uh, 24, 25, 33. That's what he turned around. And for owners who have a lot of money, give away some to charity, look to learn what he did. Again, I don't know enough about him as a man. I never will. But as a sports owner, he took over a franchise in a city and all the elements, put the resources into it, and gave their fans a decade. Gave their fans a decade of summers. And there's a generation of Washington fans who had gone a long time between having anything to cheer for, not just in baseball, but in football and basketball and hockey. Sure, the Capitals did finally win a Stanley Cup final in the 2010s, along with the Nationals, but still no Super Bowls for Washington since the early 1992. No NBA titles since, what, the 70s. So it wasn't exactly a robust sports situation he entered. And now national fans had a decade of memories, a decade of great games, no hitters, Hall of Famers, all that, and the championship. And no deal with the devil was needed. So if you look at some of these cities that seem to have everything stacked against them culturally, they're doing it in San Diego right now. The Padres have never won the World Series. The Padres won one World Series game in their entire history. I'm trying to turn that culture around. Pittsburgh, Cincinnati, Cleveland. You know, cities that, you know, the Mariners are trying to turn it around. Oakland, who's had been snake bit recently, even though they've had some trips to the postseason. The Mets are trying to turn around the culture. If you're an owner, your job is to try to turn around the culture, to give the team the resources to put a winner on the field and give their fans memories. You don't owe your fan base a championship, but you do owe them a summer of memories. If you're a billionaire and I'm not, imagine what it would mean to turn the culture around the way Lerner did in Washington. We're going to see some lean years. Eventually, the music stopped in the game of musical chairs. And they had to sell off the stars, making big deals. And who knows, maybe the trades they made involving Trey Turner and Max Scherzer and Juan Soto will eventually yield the next good, solid Washington team. Lerner won't be there. Obviously, he died the other day. But I say we salute him. He did what Broadway thought was impossible. Maybe he was the devil. Nah, just a smart owner. So, uh, tomorrow we're talking with Miller Thomas, going over a whole bunch of things. And I'm going to be, we have a full week with guests coming up and everything like that. And by the way, congratulations to Kansas City fans who are going to have a year where they're like, okay, maybe the Royals aren't so good, but at least we had the Chiefs. As for Phillies fans, well, you're on the clock. This has been... Oh, let me just say, I was about to sign off, and I forgot to say that I wanted to thank you all for making Lockdown MLB your first listen every day. 
Second listen, check out Locked On MLB Prospects. Host Lindsey Crosby is a prospect encyclopedia and is going deep on the MLB stars of tomorrow. It's free and available wherever you get your podcasts. Talking about Ted Lerner and the effects that he had on a snake-bitten franchise and city and the memories he left in his wake. This has been Locked On MLB for the 13th day of February 2023. I am your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully.